there is something about the accountability or the culture of accountability that's created by writing something down, saying it to your peers and your team, I am going to do these three things. By default, you are motivated to actually do those three things. Just like you said, when you've talked to your daughter about it, if you, you know, and some, some people are wired like that, some people aren't, where once you say it, you're more likely to do it. Hey there, this is Ben. Thanks for tuning in to Lead the Team. Before we jump in, we just broke into the top 3% of all podcasts globally, and that's largely due to the support of listeners just like you. I invite you to subscribe so you're notified when we release a new episode and also leave a quick review. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hey there, and welcome back to Lead the Team. I have Amar Singh for you today, who serves as the Chief Operating Officer of Spartan Financial Partners. Prior to joining the Spartan team, he held senior leadership roles for Spartan's parent company, American Credit Acceptance, with also with tenures at Smith International, Slumberjay, and CarMax, all of which you've probably heard of. Now, American Credit Acceptance is the leading national provider of auto finance solutions, and they manage more than $5 billion in assets, affordable payment programs for their customers. And they've experienced double-digit growth each of the last 10 years. Now, back to Amar, he started as a mechanical engineer, which we're going to get into, in the oil field, got 40 patents for several inventions, and then went to business school and then took a variety of leadership roles after that before joining ACA. Now, he holds an MBA from Texas Macomb School of Management, the University of Texas at Austin, a Master's of Science and Mechanical Engineering from Oklahoma State University and a Bachelor of Science in Mechanical Engineering from Usmania University over in India. Now, here we go. Amar, welcome to lead the team. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, you say, uh, but before we got rolling here, you said that building relationships was a learned skill for you. What exactly do you mean by that? So, um, this is goes back to when I just started in management. I think I had a team of one. It's my first person I was, uh, you know, managing. Other and days. You, I'm sure you all of you are familiar with the Myers-Briggs, you know, personality test thing. So I did mine, I think I was INTJ, you know, which is somewhat typical for an engineer. Good in analytics, blah, 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 really bad at people skills. And <laughs> one of the things that I thought that was, interesting that came out of that book, it gave you some recommendations, like here are some practical things you should do, you know, mm -hmm. take genuine interest in your people. And as an exercise, ask them on Monday, how did the weekend go? So I'm like, all right, I can do that. So my first attempt at that, I walked into the room of one of the guys, his name was Scott. And I'm like, Scott, how was your weekend? And Scott decides to tell me about his weekend and, you know, start, oh, yeah, I went here, I went there, I went da, 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 da. I think two minutes in, I lost interest to what he was saying. So he was talking. <laughs> I was still just looking at him. And a couple yeah. minutes in, by the way, Scott landed up being one of my really close friends. He's like, you're not actually interested, are you? 
<laughs> I said, Scott, here is what happened. I read this book. I'm working on my skill to genuinely pay interest. This was an exercise. I'm sorry. I, I am actually interested, but a couple <laughs> minutes in, I was like, I need to talk to you about something about the business, right? I, I, mm-hmm. We were in engineering back then. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to learn the skill about showing interest in someone at an individual level. But I just wanted to, originally, I would have just walked in and said, here's what we got. We got to work on this today. Let's go make that yeah, happen. Yeah. That's it. And over years, I've gotten to build that skill. And like I said, it's an acquired, you know, I had to work on the skill to just like genuinely actually care for your people and get to know them, understand what they do, what they like to do, what's their family like, what are their hobbies, how do they actually spend the weekend? And now I genuinely care, but I just founded it, you know, initially. It's not, it, it didn't come naturally to me. I love that. You're like, hey, a book told me, for me, I need to take an interest in you. And this is the question they said I need to ask. But, you know, while it's funny, like it did allow you to move forward. You took action. You kind of realized, it sounds like this is a pretty funny moment uh, to be doing this. But uh, it sounds sounds like a great start. And I remember um, back in the day when I was sort of a new leader, I really felt like keeping my work and my personal life should be separate. Mm. Do not mix the two. People Mm. would walk into my office. I never had pictures of my family. My work friends didn't know my personal friends. My personal friends didn't know my work friends. My wife didn't even, did not even know the name of my boss. Mm. And so uh, I think I just kind of grew up with that separation and you know, after a while, it became a burden. And so I gradually kind of let those walls start to fall and let the worlds come together a little bit. I'll tell you, things got a lot better and got a lot easier. And uh, it became a lot more fun at work. But I was yeah, always you know, like, it's, uh, hmm? it's interesting. Not everyone reciprocates either, right? It's It's common that people you will run into people I actually just even a year or two ago, I had someone and I, you know, now I'm in the habit of like uh, the weekend go, what's this? What are, you, what are you doing to do? Blah, blah, blah. And someone asked me back, why, why do you need to know? <laughs> why do you need to know that? And I said, I, I just want to know more about you. That's it. It's, you know, it's no, nothing else. And, um, you know, I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting. Like some people, will want to do what you just said. Like, I want to keep those two things separate. You don't need, when I'm done at five or whatever time you're done, I want to go off and do whatever I need to do. And mm-hmm, I don't need mm-hmm. you to know about what I do and all of that. And I think you have, you must respect that. But at the same point, I think most people, in the end, people work with people, right? You don't go work for a robot. So, um, and I, I, I almost always say, you know, when people leave a company, they are leaving the people. If if you had a best friend at work, it's really hard to leave, right? It makes it harder to leave. If you don't like the people you work with, it don't, you know, ultimately it doesn't matter as much, at least in my opinion, how much you're going to get paid and what mm. your title is, et cetera, because those things are temporary. Those are cool. When you get promoted, you have a cool title. You'll get over it, you know, like a month later, that won't matter. But if your day is fun with the people you work yes. with, you enjoy that part, then you're likely to stay. Um, and how do you make it more fun? You make it more personal in my mind and you get to know each other. So there's an actual loyalty built to, you know, each other on a personal basis and it's hard to leave them, you know? Uh, 
but anyway, <laughs> that yeah, was my- it's, it's a, it's a lot easier to leave a job than leave a best friend, no yeah. doubt, or to leave a family. And if you've been in a place in a long time and you do establish that more family vibe at work, it, it is, it's tougher. I mean, I know that my daughter is, uh, she's going into sixth grade and she's been at the same school before that since she was very, very young. And she's developed some close relationships. And when we say, well, what are you going to miss about your school? Uh, it's, it's her friends. Yeah. And then what she concerned about going to the next school? It's not her academic performance. It's, am I going to have friends like those? And so I think we bring that. And I think, you know, you're, you mentioning that triggered that for me. And it reminds me like, yeah, this is something we can all really relate to. And so as a leader, for those out there leading the team, creating that environment to where you can become a friend or your, your team can become friends with one another uh, as a great retention and engagement tool. Absolutely. Yeah. So what's your, what's your favorite question or engagement tool today that you use to sort of foster this? Cause I'm assuming you may not be defaulting to how was your weekend as much anymore, <laughs> <laughs> or you may be, and that's okay. If that's still your favorite. So um, we do something that we, you know, we make weekly commitments. You may be familiar with the, Four Disciplines of Execution. It's one of my favorite books, by the way. And, you know, you're as part of that, we've got into this habit to make weekly commitments, right? You know, everyone has a goal and you make commitments every week. But that meeting where we share with each other our goals still starts with my favorite question of how was the weekend? And mm-hmm. it's not anymore just the, you know, like, I don't care what you're saying. Like, the, if you can reach the point where you already know what they were about to do that weekend and you can say like, hey, how did that session go? You, I know you were taking your kids out this weekend to wherever, right? To so-and-so park. Yeah. How was that? What, was it good? Now they not only know you're interested, but you were also paying attention to the answer last time when you ask. So I just um, got to chill. That's, that's the next level of that question is you can predict it. That's right. And I, yeah. I think it takes effort, yeah. right? But to me, it's, wouldn't you like it if someone knew or cared when you told them on Friday when you're leaving, right? Hey, what's the plan for the weekend? And they remembered and they asked you, how did that go? That'd make you feel special, wouldn't it? Or be like, hey, this guy actually cares. It's not just, yeah. how's, what do you plan for the weekend? Come and what do you do for the weekend? I don't care. Move on. Which was me, by the way. That was me where I started. I was the true yeah. engineer, right? <laughs> Let's get after the work. Let's look at the numbers. And, you know, um, that's something I I personally value a lot more today than I ever did. And, you know, any effort I've made towards that, I'd highly encourage leaders to do the same because in the end, it's about the people. Yeah, it is about the people. And you just gave us so many great nuggets on actually how to do that part for the people. And getting getting as so practical as I would expect from a good engineer with a question, and uh, then preparing the next level of well, you can anticipate or expect what you're asking before, and you can kind of follow up with it. And even though your meetings are are you know about making commitments, which I'd love to get into next on, um, you're making time for that personal side. Now going to commitments, a big problem. You know, I hear this time and time again, 
with people making promises or commitments at work, or they're not doing what they say they're going to do. And we had a discussion uh, with my daughter, I had it with my daughter the other day because I'm. She asked me to pinky promise for for something that we're talking about, and I just said I don't need to do a pinky promise because I'm going to do what I'm saying I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And if I can't for some reason, I'm going to work like crazy to to make it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, how does this? I find it interesting that you're kind of building your group on this book. Maybe give us a time when commitments became a really big deal and how you guys handled it. Yeah. So we got started down this journey. I feel like five, six years ago, and we truly embraced this idea of the, of, you know, which is in the book around the four disciplines and, you know, not every discipline to me is as equally important, but the ones that have worked for us, the first one being, set the right goal, right? Have a big goal. The, you know, it used to be like in the far early 90s or whatever, the BHAG, the big hairy ass goal. Uh, then yeah, now- I think the it was that uh, Jim Collins and Good to Great, or I can't remember. Jim, right. was Jim Collins, okay. Yeah. And I think the new version is the widely important goal, right? Which is in the book. That's what we use. But the, the key, at least takeaway, we, you know, and every company- takes a book and then takes certain nuggets out of it and uses it, right? So we're not not stating we do it exactly the way the book says it. But I think the most powerful thing that we've learned from that outside of just setting the good goal is to make commitments towards the goal, right? And the discipline we've learned over years of doing this is it's not good enough for you to think of it yourself. It's not good enough for you to just verbally commit to people about what you're going to do either, but you got to write it down. So we every Sunday, I kick off an email which says, here are my commitments moving forward for this week. I also talk about what my commitments for the previous week were and how I did on that. And I do a simple red, yellow, green. Done, partially done, did not do. And I color code it. So anyone seeing my email will see, okay, he said he was going to do these things last week. Did he do them all? Did he not do them all? And that chain then kicks off with my direct reports who will also reply with theirs. You know, here's what my last week commitments were. How did I do? And this week, what are my commitments on it? And having the discipline of writing those down and emailing them within the team, I think is extremely important because before that, we were on this path where we would meet every Monday morning and we would make a verbal commitment, right? And say, hey, what do you, what's your week looking like? I'm going to do these two, three things against the most important thing for our company or for me. Mm-hmm what are the chances you remember that as a team next Monday, right? Pretty low. I'm just you're off working to remember on something my else. Own. That's yep. right. I'm trying to just remember what did I say, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there is something about the accountability or the culture of accountability that's created by writing something down, saying it to your peers and your team, I'm going to do these three things. By default, you are motivated to actually do those three things. Just like you said, when you've talked to your daughter about it, if you, you know, and some, some people are wired like that, some people aren't, where once you say it, you're more likely to do it. And in this case, once you write it, you're even more likely to do it. So not only do we say it, we also write it down. And I check through the week, like, what did I say I was going to do on Monday? Did I do those things? It's Thursday. I haven't. Let me get after it right now, right? And make those, complete those commitments the way I have to. So we've built that culture to where then some accountability comes through, right? 
peer to peer. It doesn't have to always be the manager holding someone accountable, but a peer can call you out and say, hey, what's up with all your commitments every week? You don't complete any of them. How come they are always right? Are you overstretching in the number of commitments you're making? Are you taking commitments that you actually don't have the time for? Are they too complicated to do in a week? But you you know, it it's you you create the culture of accountability across when everyone's doing it. And it doesn't only need to be a manager talking to someone one-on-one and saying, I need you to do this this week, which by the way, guess what? The commitments are all self-created. No, I'm not telling my team you need to make these three commitments. Big difference. You know your goal, you make the commitments of what you want to do, right? You shouldn't need your manager to tell you that. Um, so anyway, that that's wow. that's how we run the culture uh, towards the commitment. Well, the, the coolest thing about that whole thing is that you're doing it. So, I mean, you're right. setting, you're leading by example because it's so easy to be like, oh man, my people need to make better commitments. They need to be, <laughs> they, they're not delivering what they're committing to me. And then they're like, but what ends up happening is maybe you're making a leaders make commitments to their leaders and they're managing those, but maybe they're not making them publicly in front of their own team. So the own team is not really involved in seeing it there. And maybe they're missing the fact that what you're committing to is based on them delivering what they've got to do. That's right. So no wonder you're calling them all the time in the day. Like, Hey, we're getting close to this deadline. You're not making your commitments. I got to make mine and these and these dovetail together. And so I think there's just so many things are right about that strategy. Are you using like an Excel sort of getting a little, little more granular? Are you just, are people just write them in a, in an email and send them out or is there like a tracking sheet or? Yeah. So I would say through the company, we've got a mix of both ideas. Um, We've got Excel spreadsheets. You know, you can have columns per week. People just go in and mm-hmm. put in their commitments there. And the next week, there's a new column in there. When the previous week is still color-coded, red, yellow, green. Did you complete them or not? Um, we and my team do the email thing just because it's easiest. Everyone's busy running around. So you can yeah. send an email off your phone, right? I don't need to be pulling up Excel on a desktop or an iPad or something. There's no reason not to make your commitments, right? So keep it simple. Yeah, once it's an email, we can we can find it. That's right. Remind yeah. you about it. Yeah. Oh, that's that's so good. Oh, so good. Well, I want to take one little step back because I can't let get too far without talking about the oil fields to CEO or COO. Um, did you ever think? you'd be in the corner office when you were working in the oil fields. And what was the moment where you're like, hmm, I can do this C-suite thing. So um, I don't know if I thought about it that way. Um, you know, it's interesting when I did take this role on, obviously I called my family and my sister said, that's crazy. Can you think about you were a mechanical engineer? What are you doing in a finance company as a CEO, right? How do <laughs> these two things get connected? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm like, yeah, that is not what I had written up as my career plan. Is that I'm going to land up, you know, going to get a degree in engineering in mechanical engineering and land up in a finance company <laughs> running operations? So yeah, it's. Um, I, I think to me, you know. And this may be something I would, if you wanted my advice based on my career, I would say is I wasn't afraid to jump into roles that I had 
no experience or no background in, right? So I think I've run across many people, we all know some, who spend their career in what they started, which is totally fine, right? If you love what you do, keep going and stay in that path. But some of it is just hesitancy of, do I really want to take this role when I have no experience? I'm going to walk into, take over a team, and everyone on that team knows more than me about it, right? And then you're like, I do, can I lead a team like that? Is that even Humbling. possible? Right. <laughs> and, you know, and you, you just use the keyword, which is like, if you have enough humility to still walk in going, I don't know any of this stuff. And it's okay. It's just a matter of exposure, right? You can always gain knowledge. You've just not been exposed to that part of the business or whatever function it is. So why let that stop you? Like whoever is the expert today wasn't the expert always. They put in the yeah. time into it. They got exposed to it. They put in the effort and the hard work and now they're the experts. So why, why would you discount yourself from also being that one day? And why would you stop yourself from trying that? So, yeah. you know, I know you said that in my intro, but like the first 10 years, I was just in engineering and I said, Justin, I loved engineering, by the way. I was just doing a lot of design work, all this stuff. And at least to me, I felt like there is only a limited opportunity I'm going to have if I just stayed in the technical path, right? Mm. The highest position I probably would have had would have been a VP of engineering. That kind of stops there. But seeing, uh, and again, as a younger, you know, uh, whatever professional, I would encourage everyone, look at who's leading the company, look at their background and think about how they got there and what it takes to get there. Mm -hmm. And when I was whatever in my early 20s, looking at who are the presidents of, who've been the president of our company, no one came out of engineering, right? There was a lot of engineers mm -hmm. became president. Uh, pretty much all of them had the business side. You know, they were mm -hmm. running sales, they were running operations or something. And I'm like, if I have any aspirations to ever be in that kind of role, it won't be if I stuck my whole career in engineering, you know, then, which is okay. And I actually would have been okay with just that. But personally, I said, I, I need to learn more about the business. Mm -hmm. So I went into business school. And then once I finished, I was kind of like, I'm willing to try anything, which, you know, coming out of engineering, the first team they gave me to run was training and career development. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, That's a good stretch like, for, um, for okay. engineering. I mean, I, I got you know no experience with it, but I'm sure I'll figure it out. And back to the humility thing of, you know, I, and as I look back and you know, the done a variety of different roles for a couple of years, and you go try something else. I always started with this idea that I'll figure it out. Just just ask a lot of questions. Hmm. Go in there hmm. and ask a lot of questions, and don't be afraid to say I don't know. Can you, you know, I think so many, I'm sure we've all been in those meetings where someone brings up an acronym or someone talks about something that half the team doesn't know what they said, but you're too embarrassed to be the guy who says, what is that again? Or what do you mean? What do you mean mm -hmm. by that? Because, oh no, I'm just going to expose myself to everybody else that I don't know this thing. Yes, so yes. I think if you can maintain a healthy level of humility and say, I don't understand what this is. I mean, in my recent job, I've asked this question many times where people will literally laugh, but you have to have a little thick skin, right? And say, it's okay if they're laughing yeah. today that I don't know it. It's just lack of exposure to that topic. How am I ever going to know it if I never ask what it is? I'm just going to walk away and still not know it. I might as well ask now, take this moment at this time to educate myself right then. 
the other tactic I know people say is they write it down and say, I'll go research it myself alone, learn it up. That's fine. But that requires you to have the discipline to remember it, to go back and research it, understand it. Why not just ask right there in the moment? What does this mean? Yeah. Can you explain to me? Mm-hmm. And most people will appreciate the humility of a leader to say, I don't know. Can you educate me? And let, let them tell you. And you, you use your own judgment after that, right? What to do about it, what decision to make about it. But learn about it. Don't don't hesitate to ask. I don't know if I answered your question. By the way, I went all the way around. Uh, you, yeah, you pretty much took a baseball bat and hit a grand slam with it. Uh, you got a <laughs> you got something better than I was even asking. Uh, I just like so much the real time of number one the humility again of being a leader and and not like best case you write it down you go find out later. But you said you said something I like about educating yourself right there in the meeting. So looking at it at the meeting and the presentation is a chance to level up your own education. And you do that by asking questions. And I just really like the fact that you're doing that. And the best part, of course, is once you do that, even if you're not the top ranked person in the room, once you do that, you open it up for other people to do the same. Mm-hmm. And people get not as educated more on the topic that you're asking about, but you're, you know, talking about culture, you're expanding, you know, you're shifting the culture to one of learning and growth versus uh, titles and bravado. Uh, so that, I think that's a really powerful move to make. And then, yeah, I think the the other thing that, you know, when I took on this role, I spoke to the whole team about, I'm sure you've heard the five whys concept, mm, right? Six uh, Sigma. Why, 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 why. And the fifth why is by then you really understand why is, why are we doing yeah. certain things? Um, and I think back to your comment about like creating a culture of asking the questions, right? I don't know how many times you are in something and someone's going to say, well, we've always done it this way. That's no reason to do it this way, right? Just because you've always done it is that's actually, I'll, let me go ahead and ask you the second why anyway, right? Because if that's the question. <laughs> your first one's not working. It's not going to end well with this, by the fifth one. That's correct. And the second most common one is, well, that's how I was told to do it. My previous manager, supervisor, whoever told me this is what I needed to do. So that's what I do. Oh, yeah. But did they explain why you need to do it this way? And I think just going through a couple of those levels, you find out like, turns out this is not important and we need to stop doing it. So let's just stop doing it, right? Because no one can understand the why of why we're doing certain things. Um, but it creates the you know the culture of being open to ask and everyone and anyone should be able to say, but I don't understand why is that? Can you, you don't have to be rude and you don't have to be an ass about it, right? When you say, why, why, why? You're not doing it in an obnoxious manager. Uh, but you're doing it true. If you come from the point of, I'm truly trying to learn and you're truly trying to understand, then it's okay until you can actually understand. And most mm-hmm. of the time I find the person giving you the answer themselves will go, you know what? That's a good question. I never thought about why we really do it this way. Maybe there isn't a reason. Let me think about that. Perfect. That's exactly the outcome. Yeah. And usually there no one's thought about it ultimately. It's all tribal knowledge has been passed down and people are just too busy moving on to the next thing to really think about why. And so when you question the assumptions, you can get to some good stuff. Now yeah, we do maybe a lot of work. that was a good reason when they started doing it, right? Maybe that reason is still applicable. Maybe it's not. But what's the harm in questioning it again? Good advice there for leaders. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? 
Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. When's the time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career and had it lead to your success or growth on down the road? Mm, uh, <laughs> we all have those. Um, so actually, not too, not too far away, a couple of years ago, uh, before my existing gig, I was responsible for our innovation portfolio. Uh, and we've, you know, taken the concept of product teams and we call them innovation teams that are focused on whatever it is that we are trying to chase. And there are a variety of different topics, right? It could be HR, it could be operations, it could be whatever. And I was responsible for our portfolio. And so mm-hmm. the mistake I made in hindsight is I started to look at it at a portfolio level of saying, we got 35 teams and 18 of them are doing great and 10 of them are kind of average and three of them are not doing so well. And here you go, C-suite, here is the update on the portfolio, right? Um, None of that actually helped the company get better, right? Mm. I was taking too too high a view of just providing, here is what's going on on the portfolio. And, you know, like, I I feel like a lot of large companies fall in that, right? It's just like you lined up, creating rules that just provide information. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. Now we know how it's doing. What are we going to do about it? Like, what are you, as a person responsible for innovation in the team, what are you personally going to do about it, right? And so it took me a a little bit of time, to be completely honest, to really get through the just oversee everything and give a status update on how things are going versus what what does this how does this role actually contribute towards making the company better so an alternate mm-hmm. approach i took there was to say i'm going to identify two or three of these teams or two or three of these projects where i feel they're not going so well and i'm going to deep dive i'm going to spend mm-hmm. the time with that team literally sitting in their scrum calls whatever their meetings etc and actually work with that team to make that team better that's a better use of my time to create actual value versus just oh. looking at a portfolio and saying overall health is this, that, yeah, okay, great. You gave me an update. So what? None of that helped. Right. So if you think about each role is meant to be a value added role, right? That was not really true value added work. It, yeah. It, was there value in it? Sure. In, in providing information, but until you create action, you've not really added value. Right. So the action came from then saying, this is great. But what I care more about is what are the teams that I can actually go help, help them succeed. So um, that, that was definitely a lesson I learned. It took a little bit of time, probably longer than it should have uh, for me to figure that out. But we got through it and, you know, I definitely changed path based on that. Yeah, it sounds like a real transformational moment in your career. Maybe doing that great job of putting up the dashboard, communicating where things are, but then deciding to go a level deeper and put a, put your thinking cap on and uh, think about where things could go in the future. And we as leaders, we've got to remember that. It, you know, reporting numbers just isn't enough these days. We've got to go the extra step and harness our own brain power. I mean, uh, my first job out of college, I tell this story often. I was working for a company and I was working for a person who was the Yoda of the company. He's sort of a mid-level director. But man, he had people lighting up outside his office. Mm-hmm. 
from much higher levels of the company. And I thought since I worked for Yoda, I was Yoda junior or people thought so. And so people would give me their problem instead of thinking about it. I would just get in line and go take it to this guy who would give me the answer. Then I'd report it back. And I literally thought like, I'm doing a good job. I'm just reporting what he told me. But then one day I get a, a problem from someone. I wait outside his office. I go in and I go in and his face is kind of red and I know he's having a bad day, but I don't even care. I just want to get my answer and get out of there. Mm-hmm. I gave him the paper, asked him what I should do. He looked at it. He ripped it up, threw it in the trash can and said, Fanning, don't you ever come in here again with a problem unless you've thought of three potential solutions. Mm-hmm. And then he lit up a cigarette in a non-smoking facility and blew <laughs> cigarette smoke in my face. <laughs> and I got the hell out of there as quickly as possible. But he he taught me that day the simple idea of just thinking about solutions. <laughs> and I couldn't believe after all this college I'd been to, I still wasn't there yet. But um, that was the day that that helped me. Yeah, and it's a common trap we fall into, especially, you know, the analytical kind of work. People spend a lot of time doing a whole bunch of data gathering and putting it all together, but they miss that most important final step, which is what is this data telling me? Yeah, what's it? What is it? It's like I'm in such a rush to put it all together and just present it to someone, and then they're like, "Here, I just you know vomited on the table. Here's all the data. What you couldn't miss any data that you're looking for. Sure, great, but what is your analysis of the data? What is the data telling you? What action would you like me to take? And the more we encourage our people to go down this path of, is there a decision to be made or an action to be taken? answer that question with the data. If there is no decision to be made, no action to be taken, well, great. Yeah, it's then it's an FYI. You can send me an email. We don't need a meeting for this, right? You just give me, here's the latest numbers, great. But if you're going to meet, let's make a decision and let's take some action. So what hmm. from your side, whoever is presenting the data, what is your recommendation to start with? Which, by the way, it used to be a frustration that I think most younger professionals would have is when you spend hours and maybe that is your job, hours, days, working on something, you go present it to someone at a high level, C-suite or some executive. They make a decision and you disagree and you go, that's a dumb decision. I I don't know why they made that. And Mm. then you're frustrated because why did they do that? I know more about this, right? I live this. I've seen this every day. Why did they make that decision? Most likely you did not give them a decision to pick from. Come to the table with, from what I have seen, I recommend this. By the way, here are two other options. But A, B, C, and my recommendation is B. Give them the choice to pick from, or you, they're going to just make a, make a judgment, right? That's what executives yeah. are good at, making decisions. If you mm-hmm. didn't come with a decision, I'll make a decision for you. I used to always joke about that, right? If you don't have a decision, I will not hesitate to make a decision. But we are all better off if you gave me you have had, I've had, you know, I'm sitting in a meeting, I've had half an hour to think about this topic or an hour. Mm-hmm. You spend two weeks thinking about it. I'm going to assume you actually have better knowledge than I do towards making a decision or at least mm-hmm. proposing two or three options. I can help you pick or I can ask you some questions around, did you consider this or that? But take, make it your own responsibility to come up with or propose a decision, right? Don't just present data. Um, and I think that's quite important for 
you know, not only is it really empowering too, you know, if you show up, you propose a decision and the executive suite goes in and says, awesome, that's great, do it. How cool is that? You're like, wow, yeah. I, I presented something, they, they bought in immediately, great. And it's just, it just takes a little bit more time. You've, put, you've done all the work, just take a, take, one, take, a, take a couple more hours, just think about all the data you put together, propose some options, make a decision, make a recommendation, and everyone's better for it. So for the listeners, don't miss what Amar is talking about here because he's he's breaking it down for you, reporting to your leader, your manager, but also you and your team. And I mean, man, this could really unleash a lot of possibilities. And I like how you're challenging, you, know, you're, you essentially walked us through how you challenge employees to go that extra step. And you're really helping them accelerate their career. And if they do that more naturally, We'll never provide the data again without a potential decision. Right. So, so wrapping this up more, man, this has been a power packed interview. What's your parting thought for listeners? Hmm. Parting thought for listeners. Um, so I, I would say, and you know, ACA is growing and we're a fastly growing company, but I worked in really large companies. One of the things that attracted me to ACA, and I'm a huge believer of that, is just speed, right? And just being agile, being fast. Um, I think what I found large companies fall into a trap of is debating a good idea, imagining it at full scale, mm. and then saying, this is going to be too tough. Like, imagine this idea at full scale. We have 100 facilities. How are we ever going to roll this thing out? Da, 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 da. You debated, you argue, and what that causes you to do is not even try. Mm. And I think the mm. way I think of it is you should debate an idea on its just, you know, on its ability to just justify a test. That's it. You don't want to imagine it at full scale. You don't want to imagine all the obstacles there. Is it worth testing? Testing doesn't take much. It's a small thing. You could take a small sample, take one facility, test an idea out let the results of your test drive your future versus debating a hypothetical, right? If we did it, it could be this, it could be that, you will never move forward um, actually putting new ideas in play. So I've, I have the pleasure of working in a company that our whole leadership is aligned that way. We all yeah. want to be agile and nimble, but not every company is like that. We all know that. And um, I think the the reason is, I don't think you will talk to anyone who's going to say, I definitely don't like ideas and I don't want to implement them. But then you question, but then how come you don't? The how come is probably that, that it's too hard. You made it too hard on yourself to justify trying out ideas or implementing them. Don't don't imagine it at scale. Just try and test it. Fail fast. I got a great nugget to end on because make the test manageable. In some circles and small business circles, they call it the MVP, the minimally viable right. product. Correct. Right. We just to see do. if it gets any traction, you know, so in my mind, I think some people say, well, we'll just do a pilot, but pilots sometimes feel like too much even to, to even worry about. Mm -hmm. And so shrinking it down to like, how can we test as part of this idea, a white paper to see if it gets feedback from people or just a small product. And I mean, heck you could design it as like an equivalent of a lemonade stand <laughs> outside in your parking yeah. lot of your company. But something just to see, which to be honest, I mean, that's way more fun anyway. I think people, people love doing big projects and oh, it's the glory. But man, 
a little product, a little test you can get feedback on is, is fun. By the way, just to add to that little product MVP concept, we use it, by the way, it doesn't have to be functional. That's the beauty of it. You mm. can mock it up and show it to your end user customer, whoever it is, and say, what if this button did this thing? And what if that button did that thing? Would you like it? Would it be useful? Nice. And we get so caught up in like, let's do the work first, right? Let it be fully functional. Mm-hmm. And then you go out to the customer and he goes, nah, I don't like it. <laughs> now what? You wasted all that time doing the development. Yeah, we just spent half a million dollars on this mock-up and just, no one just, likes just it. Mock yeah. it up, sketch it out and show it to someone. They'll already tell you if they like it or they don't like it. You don't yeah. have to get IT involved, you know? So <laughs> anyway, yeah, I'm a huge fan of the MVP nice. concept as well. All right, Amar, thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting, do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. Go to benfanning.com slash quit to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.